0: Let's see, Dan, just before you go, will you say welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show?
1: Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show, dude.
0: This is Linux Unplugged, episode 236 for February 13th, 2018. Welcome to Linux Unplugs, your weekly Linux talk show that's reporting back from the front lines of the desktop. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello, Wes. I'm very excited about today's show.
2: We've got a ton of great
0: stuff. We do. We do. We have some like follow-up items that are quite choice if you had uh, an opportunity to listen to 235, but... There's a big, embarrassing story for Apple this week, and us open-source enthusiasts can't help but laugh a little bit. Turns out Razer, not so interested in supporting Linux after all. No. Maybe he put off those plans for a laptop, but KDE's got you covered with a new Slimbook 2. We'll take a look at that. And then Mr. Foray is here, Mr. Foray, from the esteemed elementary OS project to tell us about why the hell they're jumping from 0.4 to 5.0 What kind of gumption? A whole new world We're going to figure that out. Plus, last Friday since we gathered here together I went down to Microsoft I visited the third floor of one of the swankiest offices I've ever been in and I asked them all of the questions everything from literally are you trying to kill Ubuntu to why the hell are you open open sourcing .NET Core and PowerShell Wow Yeah. And they just let me ask whatever question I want. I'm going to play some of that for you here on the show. Talk about Azure and Linux and about where that's going. And the super awkward position that it seems Microsoft has found themselves in with Windows. Plus, we will talk about... Our plasma challenge. We'll do a little check in on the plasma challenge and see where everybody's at, see who's moving on, see who's sticking around. There's tons coming up. So let's not go a moment further without saying holler at our mumble room. Time appropriate greetings, virtual lug. Hey, Hey Hey hello. Hello. (laughs) Hello. Welcome to BSD Unplugged. What? Get that guy out of here. (laughs) Who
1: let him in here? (laughs)
0: All right, guys. Well, we have so much to get into this week. Uh, And I have it all opened up in a tab on Firefox. This is like, by the way, just totally random. But uh, I don't know. I'm like week four into Firefox now, version
2: 58 right now. I never
0: thought I'd hear you say it. Yeah. This is like the third or fourth unplugged with no Chrome. No Chrome. How's it
2: going? I mean, you're still here. You don't seem to be pulling your hair
0: out. I think my favorite feature is how Firefox restores tabs instead of... uh, opening a new window and then populating that window with all of these random-ass tabs. It just resumes all of the tabs in the window that I have open. The reason why I like that is because I can do it while my browser is on camera, and you have no idea I just did that. Just all silently in the background without lagging out my browser, without lagging out my OS. Poor
2: broadcaster's tip for
0: you. I know, and my battery life's way better, too. Anyways, totally random. Um, And also random this week. I thought we'd start with kind of an embarrassing story for Apple. They had some um, forced open source disclosure this week. Did you see this? The uh, iBoot firmware. Yeah, they call it iBoot. Of course. <laughs> didn't even... What else would you call it? Um, I don't anything but iBoot. To be honest with you, anything actually, but iBoot would be what I call well, it. iBoot but... was taken. So, <laughs> anyways, um, it sounds like an intern or somebody at the level of an intern uh, posted Apple's super secret firmware source code onto GitHub. For whatever reason, um, they like the jail cell. And uh, within within hours, within about a day or so, Apple got a DMC com- DMCA complaint filed with the uh, GitHub company. But um, it's sort of like no going back on this kind of thing. Once this thing is out there, there's really no taking it back. And you got to wonder if maybe jailbreakers and hackers can use this stuff. And what's weird is Apple's statement. Apple responded uh, with a comment, something about... Uh, we do not rely on the obscurity of our source code to enforce its security. Oh, yeah, like one of those. Boom. We were just happy to
2: have it as a layer there for a while. Besides. Yeah, <laughs> for as long as we could. Yeah, it sounded like the person involved was pressured from some of the community that wanted the information about you know how to develop jailbreaks and and other such applications. Yeah, I and then it's, it's <laughs> leaked further than that. It's
0: a second stage bootloader, Wes. <laughs> It's just so I don't know. There's something about all of Apple's stuff. You got the secure enclave, you got the iBoot, you got the T two chip in the iMac Pro. It's it really feels like Apple is circling in on jailbreakers and and the Hackintosh community just to give them the old traditional Apple butt wiener in about another year. Like it's all of the things are lining up right now. The T2 chip is going to be something that will undoubtedly ship in new MacBook Pros and the new Mac Pro. And that is literally a iPhone system on a chip that verifies the cryptographic integrity of the Mac operating system.
2: I mean, that's where their heart's been for
0: for a long time now. There's no way the Hackintosh community is going to have a quick... Remedy to that. That's going to be easy for anybody. And then and that's just and that's just going to that's just going to populate across all of the Mac platform. And then you combine it with this with the with all the with all of the other techniques that they're doing, like with signing of applications and the Mac App Store. And it's just the Hackintosh community can't have more than two years.
2: So maybe I mean, get- I don't think you're wrong, and a lot of this is in the name of security, and a lot of it can really be understood. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. It really yeah, – honestly – We it, complain it, about things that some of this actually does solve, but it, it, from it, our perspective yeah. as the you know 1% techie crowd, it's not –
0: but, okay, but if uh, put yourself in the position of uh, maybe you're one of these companies that's uh, really buddy-buddy with IBM. And IBM now preaches uh, the gospel of Apple. And they come in and they say, replace all of your Windows 7 and Windows XP machines with iPads and MacBooks.
2: <laughs> I already did
0: that. That's fine. We're, <laughs> yeah. It's easy. Okay, sorry. Anyways. <laughs> that's just so funny. <laughs> Like, what are you gonna do, right? Anyways, so you go in there, you replace all your machines with Macs because uh, that's the that's cheap, and the, and then you 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 really want to get to the point where you can verify that the operating system is secure and the applications are secure, and so it's kind of within the corporation's best interest that Apple does lock this shit down.
2: Yeah, I mean, absolutely, right. Like, you could even say the Hackintosh community isn't even a factor in their decision-making process. Well, they're not. They're not. Yeah, they're not large. Why? Why would it be? I think it's really just been a perhaps Apple being nice or not overly, you know, not really caring about it up to this point. But if it gets in the way of some of their security and marketing objectives, then they really have no reason to let them benefit.
0: I wonder if we could figure out. Like, wouldn't it be amazing if somebody could figure out? Like, well, it's going to be. uh one in fifteen Hackintosh users become desktop Linux users, or something like that. That would be. Anyways, uh, here's kind of a fun thing about Apple using the DMCA to take down the code off of uh, GitHub um, under penalty of perjury. That for, on the on the on the case of Apple, that means that the source code has to be legit because if Apple is using the DMCA to take down that source code and then they go to court over it and it turns out it's not legitimately their source code, they're screwed. In other words, that means the source code that now tons and tons and tons and tons of people have copies of is legitimate source code because they use the DMCA, which confirms it's legitimate. Which is,
2: <laughs> it's funny how that kind of works, right? You're really enjoying yourself on this one. I am. It's nice to see you happy. Uh, thank you.
0: Thank you. Because you know, then I reflect on another laptop company like Razer, who um, was offered the source code to update firmwares on Razer laptops. And they said, no, thanks. This is, of course, by one of the folks involved with the Linux vendor firmware project where they are shipping firmware updates via GNOME software and other mechanisms. We've talked about it a lot on this show. One of my favorite things. Absolutely. And so uh, one of the developers emailed Razor and said, uh, what could I do to help you start shipping your firmware updates? How about I will write you code from scratch example code that you could actually just take and use that would be ready to go. In fact, how about I do all of the work, I hook everything up for you, you just got to give me some of the details and it's good to go. And nothing happens. And nothing happens. And then eventually an email comes back and the email says, we've discussed your offer with a dedicated team and we're thankful for your enthusiasm and for the good idea. But I'm afraid I also have to let you know that at this moment in time, our support for software is only focused on Windows and Mac,
2: Mm.
0: i.e. you've done all the hard work, you've gotten everything ready for us, you're actually even solving a problem for us and some of our customers, but we can't be bothered to give you the time of day.
3: I've, I've got an alternative point of view on this. I'd love to hear it. So... um. ODMs who, uh, sorry, or OEMs such as Razer, who go to ODMs, may have to enter into contracts which prevents the redistribution of firmware and BIOS images, and this may be a well-crafted, polite reply to rebuttal the fact that they don't have an arrangement with their ODM that enables them to redistribute these uh, I see what you're firmware images.
0: So you're saying it's a way of answering the question without kind of crapping on their partner saying, well, our partner's yeah. agreement doesn't allow us to
3: do that. Exactly, yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I don't know, I don't have any insight into who Razor's ODMs are. But some of the other um, Linux-focused um, OEMs certainly do fall into this category where, you know, the, the, they are not permitted to redistribute these images. Right. And consequently, you know, doing this work is is not open to them.
0: Right. So to be clear, to, to sort of clarify what you're saying is based on your experience and my experience in communicating with certain Linux-first uh, hardware vendors that... Are reshipping upstream original equipment manufacturers hardware, uh, like perhaps say a Clevo. There is an agreement in place in which, in, as part of that, because it's been around, these have been around for years now. That part of that agreement is you cannot directly redistribute our firmwares to your or or any kind of like updates to the firmware too to your customers. Uh, they have to be distributed directly from us. And then there's different iterations of this agreement that might say, well, under these conditions, you can distribute firmware. or Under, under these other conditions, you can distribute the firmware once we've signed off on it. Like, There's a bunch of, bunch of changes to it, but that's essentially what you're saying.
3: It, exactly that, because if you enter into an agreement with, say, Clevo… And uh, as the equipment manufacturer, you are requesting some customizations to buy awesome firmware. Those are not something that they that Clevo want to be reshared and redistributed because it's specific to your contractual obligations.
0: Right. And the customization of that firmware is sort of the um, product. That they are part of the product that they are selling back to uh, the reseller. So the, the Clevo is is going into and to some sort of business arrangement with these resellers and saying, "All right, we will make these changes. You go validate this on your hardware, and then come back to us with the changes you want." And then Clevo makes the changes at the firmware level, and then the and then the seller tests that again and validates it and sends back more suggestions. And it's a back and forth process. And then eventually they have a custom firmware that Clevo has created for that particular vendor. And that's yep. part of the value that Clevo offers.
3: Exactly. And this is also why you sometimes see that the, the Linux device manufacturers are a little bit behind on offering certain chipsets of products because they have to go through this validation and tweaking and customization mm. ex- exercise for their products in order to deliver them in a out-of-the-box Linux-compatible way.
0: Yeah, okay. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, unfortunate, but reasonable. So one of, the, one, of the, uh, one of the devices that is probably kind of along the same line that I at first was sort of skeptical of, but now we're seeing a second iteration of, and I'm kind of starting to get it now, is the KDE Slimbook. And now we have the KDE Slimbook 2.0. Um, and it's not like it's going to, like, blow you away with the hardware specs. It's a 13.3-inch screen. Uh, It does have an SSD. You can get it with a pretty fast 2.7 gigahertz i7 CPU, uh, which will turbo boost up to 3.5 gigahertz, and you can get it up to 16 gigs of RAM. Um, You know, but, again, it's not going to blow you away in terms of performance, Uh, but it is one of these situations where it's... um, how, how do you describe something like this, Wes, where a project can focus in on a singular target? It's not like they're designing the hardware, but it gives them sort of like a –
2: Like a reference platform they can really focus
0: yeah, on. Like a, yeah, like a narrow set of variables, right? Yes. And that's what's interesting about uh, the Slim book is because I feel like this could be a harbinger for what we could see down the road as it becomes more available for people to ship upstream OEM hardware make slight modifications at the hardware and firmware level and then have open source projects hyper-target that for a few months in development and then release it. And that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing this with some other hardware. And I think this is an interesting idea because when I first started getting into Linux, you would buy like a six CD set for $65. Yes. And you'd go home with a box and a book and, a, and, a, and like, a, like a whole bunch of CDs where you can install your Linux. And that was the thing you bought but, but that's obviously gone away with ISO downloads and whatnot. But this is almost like a new version of it today. Like if I was a student and I was really passionate about Linux and open source and the Plasma desktop, I'm pretty sure I would aspire to a piece of hardware like this. Like this would be sort of that thing that I would want to get. Like, you know, I would go mow those lawns. I would do what it would take. I
2: would go get that side job so that way I could get the perfect Plasma desktop laptop. You know, it's been tweaked for it, designed for it thought about cared for yeah so it's nice to see this
3: go ahead this dovetails with the previous conversation right about working with odms in order to make the necessary customizations that the device that ships out of the box works with the distribution or operating system that you know is pre-installed so I'm, i'm a big fan of this because this is the step change that linux on the desktop needs Downloading ISOs and sticking them on USB sticks and installing them on whatever you happen to buy is all very well and good. But actually being able to buy devices pre-installed, pre-configured with the operating system that you want to use, that's how you really step up adoption.
2: It also interests me the the tighter coupling between the the desktop maker and the actual hardware details, and not having one layer of distributor or system in the middle there. Maybe there's some, you know, real world concerns that will get addressed more quickly. You know, it's funny,
0: and this could just be Softpedia. Uh, but in the screenshots on Softpedia, I'm seeing screenshots oh. of Elementary OS and the <laughs> home desktop.
2: <laughs> oh, and there's Mate right there. <laughs> there's even a Unity below. The, so um, the
3: you know. Slimbook by guys are very good. Um, while while they have a specific model see, that's available right, with KDE, right? right, right they support right. all of the all uh, of the. Of course,
4: as well. of course,
0: of course, right? right. And that's what's, what's kind of nice when you're buying you're buying a slim book to run Plasma, but you know you can run everything else. It's all just Linux.
4: It is right. You can to uh, buy a slim book without Plasma if you want to.
0: Um, do you? Uh, before we move on, producer Michael, do you have anything else you want to mention about the slim book thing? Because I've just sort of covered on a high level, but it kind of. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen one in person, but. It with the version no, two, it know. kind of feels like it's it's essentially like a Galago. Am I right about that?
4: Uh they're not it's not the same ODM, but okay. it is very Oh same. it's
3: not. It's not.
4: I don't think they have Clevo now.
3: Oh, it looks we, pretty, nice, pretty nice though. We were fortunate enough to that they were at uh, sorry, sorry, Slimbook were at um UbuCon Europe in Paris. <laughs> in september last year and they had all of their devices out and and there was lots of uh, drooling and pouring at the quality of of their devices and yeah. uh, I, I think this version too looks particularly interesting and i'd um just to plug another podcast if if curry happens which it might um i would desperately love to see one of these in for review on the ubuntu yeah, podcast absolutely. with kde neon
4: me too me too I yeah, would like to see it's, that. A, it's a it's a sick looking laptop. It, it reminds me of Macs, but uh, you know Macs have decent looking hardware, and this one looks like you know you can get a better powerful machine roughly about the same price and still looks like a Mac. So hey, there you go.
0: Now, do you have any idea, Rodden, about how much might uh, go up towards the? Plasma desktop or the KDE project is there any kind of like is it just is there any do you know if there's any financial like contribution am I am I giving anything towards there, the project?
4: There is a partnership I don't know what the percentages are okay. but I, I do know that they do something with it uh, I could find out but I don't know offhand.
0: Yeah uh, alright I, uh, I just think this would probably be, just be great for anybody that just wants a machine dedicated to run uh, KDE Neon <laughs> just go for it uh, and it looks like great hardware I do hope to one day see my hands on it maybe at a conference or something like that or if they ever have enough units to send out for review, I think that'd be pretty It's a nice-looking machine. Pretty pretty sweet. Uh, I'm still shopping for you, Wes. I'm still shopping. Yeah, that's I mean, right, you are. You have, like, a, a first-gen XPS 13? Is that a first-gen? No, it's a second-gen. Second second-gen. Second-gen. All right. Well, that's understandable. Is that an i5 or an i7? i5. An i5, huh? Man.
2: I mean, it's, a, it's really just a, a terminal and a web browser. Yeah, but
0: you get a shit ton of work done with that. That's not your daily driver, No, though. it is not. Okay. So your daily driver is a desktop?
2: Yeah, I have a uh, a desktop <laughs> replacement at home and a real desktop. So at like work.
0: a big laptop at home, and yeah. then and then a desktop at work. Yeah, okay. And then this All is right.
2: the uh, the portable version. Good man. But you know- you're right. It
0: does need replacing. A little bit. So I'm shopping for you all the time. I'm just always looking for you, you know? I just got to make sure you get the right thing, Wes. I got to make sure. It's
2: got to be right, yeah. The only
0: reason is because I got to sit here and stare at it every single week. Exactly. (laughs) You
2: have incentive.
0: (laughs) You know what else? Uh, I'm going to mention Ting right now. Linux.ting.com. It's our mobile service provider. It's the whole network's mobile service provider. It's just a smarter way to do mobile because your average Ting bill is just $23 per phone per month. It's pay for what you use wireless. However much you talk, however much you text. Never much data you use. You, you're like a ninja with this stuff too, Wes. You know that? Oh, yeah. As, as much as you want. I've noticed that too. Like uh, like when Wes gets here, he's like, hey, what's the Wi Fi? I got to get on the Wi Fi here. I'm like, what's going on over there? I look over at Wes and then boom, he like syncs up all his stuff once he gets on the Wi Fi. I'm not an animal. No. I mean, come on. You're, I need the Wi Fi. A gentleman Wi Fi caller. They got nationwide coverage, CDMA and GSM networks, no contracts, nor the termination fee, and you can try Ting totally risk free. With CDMA and GSM too, that means there's lots you can bring over in terms of of hardware to the Ting network. It's incredible. You know, uh, I went from paying over $140 a month to paying around $40 a month. That means I can buy like a new laptop every couple years. Yeah, It's super great. Start by going to linux.ting.com Support this show. Take $25 off a Ting device or get $25 in service credit if you bring a device. Linux.ting.com And a big thank you to Ting. Big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Linux.ting.com I just think Dan just can't stay out of the news. Uh, elementary OS every single damn week is uh, doing something that's causing some bit of discussion. And maybe this is just what happens when a project gets to a certain size. Like every single thing they do generates discussion. Uh, but uh, Dan joins us this week to discuss the crazy, outlandish idea that they dare go from version 0.4... To version five dot zero with the next release version June. That's a big jump. So Dan, you've uh, just gone off the deep end, and you just uh, jump in numbers like open Susanil.
1: Yeah, so um, I mean, we were just thinking about you know what if we took that zero and then took it off. That didn't do that.
0: <laughs> what if we didn't do that? <laughs> Oh, well. All right. That sounds good. Moving on, then. <laughs> Bold thinking, Dan. <laughs> Bold. Now, uh,
1: honestly, um, the it's there's kind of two reasons, right? One is a uh, marketing reason, and one is kind of um, an organizational reason. And uh, we we kept getting a lot of people saying, oh, you know, when is Elementary OS going to get out of beta? Like, you guys are still in beta. All You know, we keep hearing, like, people saying, oh, Elementary OS is in beta. And so it was really confusing for people to have that leading zero in there. So we thought, okay, well, you know, we got to version bump that, right? We got to move that up into at least 1.0 territory, so people will stop thinking this is a beta product.
0: Honestly, and, I feel like you got there with Freya, really.
1: Yeah, you know, um, which was
0: zero three, <clears throat>
1: right? And it's been it's been quite an evolution, to be honest. And we're we are kind of holding off on the 1.0 because we wanted to make sure that. We had—I don't know if "controls" the right word, but um, that it, at least influence in everything that the user sees and, and touches. That we're able to fix the issues that our users report to us, and so we're kind of—we're way more there than we were before—and. Uh, this Juno release has the most elementary stuff in it out of any huh. release before. Ah, right? that's With, it. As far as our uh, desktop environment and all the apps we ship. Right. And and now we have uh, an application ecosystem that people right. are developing apps for elementary OS. So it's like a huge shift from where we were when we started out.
0: It's the stuff that actually uh, makes a platform, to be frank right. about it. And <clears throat> I like how this post... Um, I I don't know if you guys intended it for this, but if I had never heard of elementary OS and all of a sudden I saw, why do these uh, cocky sons of bitches want money from me? If I read this post, I would be compelled to donate lots of money because within the sc- – if you just look at the damn screenshots, mm. it is so clear – like, here, Wes, I'm going to do – you ready for this, Wes? I'm going to oh, do yeah. a little – so here is uh, – th- we start here at the beginning. There is uh elementary OS Jupyter 0.1, okay. and it, it okay. looks like a GTK GNOME 2
2: no respawn. problems here, but yeah.
0: Then you get to version 0.2, and you're like, oh, okay, it's, it's GTK 3. It's uh, got a nice theme going for it. But by the time you get to Freya 0.3, you have – A whole lot of elementary OS features, including a whole bunch of nice styling, animations, a real clear visual communication. Definitely. You have their own application launcher, their own settings panels, a do not disturb system with notifications. Like it's clearly its own product by 0.3. And then when you look at Loki 0.4, one of the things that strikes me about Loki. Is it's all of the stuff I just said, plus uh, kind of building on top of that a, a more refined look, uh, clear path for third party developers, style sheets, APIs. It honestly starts to become a platform by Loki, version 0.4, the current version. But the other thing that you guys have done with Loki that struck me, and may- maybe this was the case uh, with Freya and I just didn't notice it, but it feels like um, Loki just keeps constantly getting better. Like, there's new stuff that just keeps coming to Loki. Like, there hasn't been, like, this big gap while I'm just waiting for the next version of Elementary, the next big drop. Because in this meantime, I am kind of waiting for that, but in the meantime, stuff has just kept coming down to Loki, like updates, like the App Center, for example. the uh, updates, yeah. All of that stuff, it just ca- is new in Loki, which has been the current release now for a while. Uh, and so you guys have, have legitimately built... A platform. And I think when people say that, some people get triggered because it sounds like cloud. It sounds like vlog. It sounds like blog. It's one of these – it's a term. It's this nebulous term. But it's an app center. It's a design language. It's a clear path for developers. It's a
2: it, lack of nebulousness, right? Like it, yeah, it exactly. Is, it is something concrete now.
0: Yeah. So um, – but I, I mean not to belabor this point, but just because this is the thing that everybody's been talking about, why not just say 1.0?
1: Right. And um, the reason why not to go 1.0 is less marketing and more organizational. So that's kind of the other component of it. And um, what we're looking at is we want to um, try to bring everything into alignment with uh, semantic versioning so that we have, you know, that major, minor, you know, that whole thing going on but um what we have right now is a lot of uh version numbers throughout all of our different products that are misaligned and some of them are more than 1.0 and and so by just kind of l- removing that leading zero then we can eventually get to a place where across the board like all the apis for our wow. 5x series are 5x and all the applications are 5x you know get everything all kind of aligned Very so it nice. is a
3: windows 10 effort then
0: Oh, uh, I have no idea. Sure. No, but I get what you're saying. You're saying <laughs> developers can say, okay, so you have the 5.x version of this API support or of this application, so I know what I can target there. And then eventually down the road, it'll be 6x and 7x, yeah?
1: Yeah, exactly. So the version number for all of our products aligns with that release.
0: Damn.
2: Very nice.
1: Forward so you, thinking.
0: Yeah, you're taking what I always compliment you guys. Here's the clear developer story. You, you here's how you, here's how you uh, target the platform. Here's the design language you use. In fact, here's a widget you can use to make it look like everything else. And now you're going to the next level and saying, "Here's the APIs that you can guarantee work."
1: Yeah, I mean, we're really trying to get to a point where that that level of clarity permeates throughout the entirety of the stack and not just with, oh, you know, it's clear for users to use applications, but it's clear for developers to write them as right.
0: well. Right, because 5.0 is going to mean, it's 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 going to mean what? It's going to mean GTK 3.22. It's going to mean high DPI. It's I mean, it's going to mean kernel Linux version something X. Yeah, I mean, so elementary 5.0 actually means, gtkX, kernel version X, system DX, Xorg or Wayland X, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, right, because um, the new 5.0 uh, release is going to be based or we're currently building it on um, the Ubuntu 1804 LTS. So it does bring a hardware enablement stack and, and a ton of new APIs from all our upstreams as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's the, yeah, that's the practical version of it is it's 5.0 is going to be 18.04 LTS, but developers won't even need to understand that esoteric differentiator. It'll just be 5.0 of the elementary OS platform has these capabilities. 6.0 has these capabilities.
5: But what's with the need of the dot, dot o anyway? Is, is there any need for, like, a 0.5 release just for beta, possibly, or anything like that?
1: Yeah, so what it is is, like, um, basically the same like we did with Loki, where we had a uh, .4 release, and then we had point four point one And what that was is it's a bump to a new hardware enablement stack or adding new major features or things like that. So we do have those um, minor revisions that we'll push out if if we make a – it's a new ISO release. So it's something significant enough to trigger a new build um, but not significant enough to break API.
5: Hmm. Also, real quick, uh, why did you name it after a very infamous film about a pregnant teenager? Oh, Juno, <laughs>
0: <laughs> or the moon—it could be, Jupiter.
5: or or a
0: city in Alaska. I mean, let's be honest.
1: So, for our code names, we use uh, the names of deities, and uh, right. It turns out that the the majority of the really nice sounding deity names are like Greek and Roman, usually, and so we I know, we we did a couple of Norse ones. Yeah, so I, the
0: problem the, is I took a bunch of the solar system uh, names with Jupiter Broadcasting, right?
2: So, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, actually. Not only does that make sense, Dan, but it goes deeper than I first understood. So I really appreciate you coming on and, and explaining it to me. Um, wow, that's great. I mean, that is so great because it, it clearly contributes to the developer story. Just as a super quick follow-up, if you could, how has uh, the one rea- the the one reek? How ha- how much has the one week reaction reeked For um, the uh, announcement about charging for upgrades or or attempting to charge for upgrades like now that you've had a you've had a week to marinate with it. How's that gone?
1: I think it's been really good. We've got a lot of really positive feedback and interesting comments from people. And it's um, interesting
0: a way of saying controversial like really like how is it is it is it like are you guys like pulling back at all or does it feel like full steam ahead?
1: No, I mean, interesting in terms of um, bringing up things that we were looking for people to bring up, like oh. you know, hey what what happens in this case kind of thing and Um, By discussing it with with other people and bringing it up, where we've had more plans um, to push into, okay, well, now how does multi machine work or how does a a fresh install work as opposed to an upgrade or things like that? Or, like, how that was one of the major concerns that people brought up um, that we're currently working through is what happens if I want to transfer my purchases to another computer?
0: That seems like a huge problem to solve. I mean that's the number one issue that I raised and I have even gone on the record and said I'd be willing to pay a bit more if I could, knew that it would persist across all machines. Yeah. But uh, that just – that seems like – it
4: kind of
0: It's kind of – it almost is, this, right? In because, this day and age. Because yeah. of other app stores. Yeah, I think that's a great point. But the, but the technical limitation means you have to somehow track me across all my machines.
1: Yeah, so that's the major um, balance point, right, is how do we set things up in a way that is convenient and adds these features that people want, but also in a way that is secure and respects your privacy?
0: Yeah. I... (laughs) I do not envy that task, my friend. Not in the least. No, Wes and I cover that kind of stuff all the time on TechSnap, and it is a massive technical challenge. Um, And if you ever want to talk about it, (laughs) you know where to come because we'd love to hear more about it. But uh, I'm sure that's all down the road stuff. In the meantime, anything else to note about the uh, Juno's release or about the announcement about the bump? Anything like that?
1: Um, well, you know, that wallpaper that, uh, Hey-o. I just made for the 5.0 beta is pretty fire. You can go check it out on our blog and, and you should download that. And nice. even if you're not running the beta, which you aren't, cause it doesn't exist in the public, <laughs> you should just stick that wallpaper out there cause I think it's, I will. it's pretty sick.
0: That does look nice. Ooh. I think I will. Good call on that. Uh, I, I've, I've been following with more and more interest, Dan, so I appreciate you stopping by. Um all right. Well, we'll have a link to all of that shenanigans in the show notes. Go check that out. I think it's going to be a big release. I you know, for a couple of years, two maybe no, no. I don't know if it's 2 years. I don't know. I guess we stopped doing Last in 2017, yeah. Yeah. So and I think we I don't know if you look at Last, I think we kind of pulled back on reviews a year before that. That's a good point. Yeah, you you, you kind of did. And right now I've got the itch. I mean, so not only do we have a new version Spring
2: of. Spring is coming up. So I know, there's
0: right. There's distros to try. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's allergies. Oh, well, that too.
2: <laughs> it's a nasty itch. Yeah, I'm so sorry for it. Yeah, you. I
0: call it Mint 19 right Woo-hoo. here. It's got a rash. Uh, no, I just, I have, I have a, uh, I have a a good feeling about some of the distro releases that are coming because a lot of them uh, are based on Ubuntu, which is going to be a major update soon. But uh, a lot of them are also trying to differentiate. Uh, I've recently started following the Solus project again with a lot of uh, close intensity. Uh, I don't know if Ike is just uh, trying to lure me with his sweet siren song, but uh, they're talking more and more about their Plasma version. And there's just a lot of good releases. We just recently talked with the Fedora group. And uh, about Fedora Atomic yeah. and all that. So there's just so much good stuff coming down the pipe, a- and it just means that you and I have a bunch of good stuff to talk about,
2: and a ton of great things to try.
0: Anyways, let's uh, let's keep going. Uh, I got a chance to go down to Microsoft uh, last Friday, and uh... <laughs> have they turned you? I mean, should I be suspicious? Am yes. I safe right here in the studio. Do you like next my, year? Uh, my my Windows 10 system here? It's a uh... <phone rings> Nice, isn't it? No, actually, in in all fairness to them, they did not try to convert me to Windows 10 at all. So (laughs) I got to give them credit for that. We will talk about that in just a moment. But first, I want to talk about DigitalOcean. It's infrastructure on demand, super fast, really reliable infrastructure with eight data, data centers all over the world. In fact, by the time you're listening to this, it could be more. That's why companies like Docker and Slack and GitLab and Tesla use DigitalOcean and Jupyter Broadcasting as well. DigitalOcean.com. Go over there, create your account, and then use our promo code D-O-Unplugged. It's one word, and you'll get a $10 credit. You can spin up infrastructure on demand. It's one of the things that Wes and I do all the time for TechSnap is when we're trying something out, like, how do we talk about this in a way that makes sense? Wes knows exactly. There's, there's something we did recently. You know, I don't want to say it. You know what I'm talking I about. I do know what <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. about. And it's like, well, we want to talk about this in a way where we have actual knowledge, like hands-on experience with it. So you just spin it up on a DigitalOcean droplet. You try oh, it out. Done. I mean, I mean, we had that whole thing done within 10 minutes. It, and then we just played around for like the next 20 minutes just to see what we could do. It's so great because like you go from, I have this idea to full production in minutes. You can get started in less than 55 seconds, and they have 99.99% uptime. If you want to deploy just the base system or an entire infrastructure, you can do it over at DigitalOcean.com. And they've just revamped their pricing. So it's it's just even more competitive. It's just ridiculous now. (laughs) And they have mix-and-match droplets. So in the past, it was like you buy this droplet for this price, and now you can just mix-and-match like disk and CPU and RAM. Like it's going crazy. And with the, then you combine that with block storage, which just shows up as like a dev SDA device on your Linux rig, or you can go next level and go with object storage, which is 100% compatible with like all of the S3 CMD type API command stuff, but it's on DigitalOcean infrastructure. So like really great backup programs on Linux and all of that stuff just, just works with DigitalOcean spaces. It's it is so worth your time, and if you can go over there and use our promo code with a ten dollar credit, oh, that'll help. Yeah, you can play around with it, your own custom spun backup system that just specifically hones in on your needs. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code DO Unplugged and try it out. See what you can do. I had a I had a oh, I have a hold on West. Breaking news! Breaking news from the back office. You can also just do a little uh, a little uh, do slash unplugged in the browser. Dio.co. It
2: really couldn't be easier.
0: Dio.co slash unplugged in the browser. Hot in from the back office. Preloads with the uh, promo code and all that S. Just sign right up. Mm-hmm. Done. Mm-hmm. Try it out. DigitalOcean.com. Promo code unplugged or doco slash unplugged. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Unplugged program. <clears throat> that was, uh, I tell you what, going down to Microsoft stressed me out uh, because I. this is why... I'm one of the main reasons I got out of IT contracting
6: is right? I
0: have this really super weird anxiety about uh, going to a certain place at a certain time. When I have to navigate, like a comp, oh my, I'm, I'm, I'm actually having an, oh, a slight panic attack just telling you about this. I'm really take it slow. So I have this anxiety where uh, if I need to be some place that's like way south of Arlington. Uh, at a certain time and I have to like park somewhere and then navigate like a series Especially of buildings you haven't been to <clears throat> specifically it comes up when I go to Amazon or Microsoft or, or T-Mobile like whenever I go to a we're like a multi building campus. And I have to be in a certain conference room at a certain time and just like I've never been to that campus. So navigating it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. I'm legitimately having a panic attack just telling you about this. And so that is how I spent my entire Friday last week was I spent the first half of the day having a panic attack. And then I spent the second half of the day going to Microsoft. Uh, And then once I'm on site, I am I'm I am as cool as a cucumber. Legitimately, n- no anxiety. I am one hundred percent comfortable. So we just
2: have to get you there.
0: Yeah, I just have to get there and like get to where I need to be. And once I'm where I need to be, and I have plenty of time, I'm completely comfortable. So I showed up
2: uh, an hour early. <laughs> That you kind of have. I mean, with traffic and anything yes. else. I mean, how else yeah. can you plan for that? Yeah,
0: and I had I had my lady Hadiya come with me for emotional support because she's really good at navigating when I'm totally just like totally anxious out. She'll do the, like she'll do the driving, the navigating, the parking in the in the parking garage, and like all of that that totally takes care of my anxiety and lets me just focus on the task at hand. And so uh, she came with me to to essentially be my my emotional support partner. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I don't know what it is about these companies, but they give me this sense of anxiety because like when I go to meet other business owners or, uh, or, or community members, like we go to a bar or I go to their house or
2: something like that. Where they're standing behind the counter and you're like, oh, hi. Yeah. yeah you own it, the business. It's okay. a
0: totally different thing. And so when you go to, to Microsoft's Bellevue campus, which I had never been, I've only, I've only been to the Redmond campus, uh, at Microsoft, uh, it's, it's like a totally different experience. So you park in the parking garage and you, wear, you work your way up the elevator and you go across what they call the breezeway. And I have a picture of it on the video version if you're watching right now the, of the breezeway. And it, it feels like you're walking through an old Roman palace with marble everywhere, fountains Gucci stores <laughs> with gold walls and LED lights. So that's why you look so nice today. <laughs> yeah. It's it is it is full of stores that I think get one or two customers a day. I mean, this is a very ritzy place in Washington. And, and Microsoft has a temporary – they have two buildings. And the building I was going to is a temporary building. They call it the Braven Building. And when I finally, when I finally got there and I got past the Gucci stores and the, and the Prava stores and the water fountains and the statues and I got through the elevator and got to the third floor, I arrived at the reception desk. Oh. Um, um, yeah, I'm checking in. I have parking to get that validated. Okay, if I can see your ID. And, of course, I had to get the parking validated because that's what you do in Bellevue.
2: Right. Absolutely.
0: But you know what was a little disorienting is the first thing that you see isn't the reception desk. It's actually – it's funny. It's it's one of those things that's really – it just drove home to me. I'm obviously in a business filled with geeks. When you walk in through the main door – the first desk you see isn't reception. The first desk you see is tech support. Seems sort of appropriate. So you get there and you open up the glass doors and you see this huge desk and you walk up to it and you're like, I'm here to see. And before you get those words completely out of your mouth, you see IT, you see support and you see guys that look just like you. And you go, "Uh, this is tech support, isn't it? And they're wow. like, they're like, yeah, reception's over there. <laughs> like, we
2: get this all the time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so obviously for geeks, uh, and so we get there, we check in. I get the parking validated. I'm sitting around in like these uh, future space chairs that look like they're off the set of Star Trek Discovery.
2: <laughs> like, are, are you wearing any Linux swag? What I are you... did, dude. I wore the thank you
0: for asking. I wore the uh, last finale head hoodie with the uh, f- with the final last logo with the year. It's the shirt I'm actually wearing now, only with our full run year yeah, on okay, it. Okay, great. And I so I wore the hoodie. Uh, but underneath it, I wore my nicest blue business dress shirt, button-down business shirt. You're a professional. And I wore uh, nice uh, slacks. So I was going for the corporate
2: lifestyle reject look. So that
0: way they could and acknowledge you... and accept me but and right. wouldn't feel off-put, but yet would understand I'm not one of them. Right.
2: You, you speak their language, but you're not a part
0: yeah, of them. Yeah. That's... <laughs> That's exactly. And so we're sitting around in these Star Trek Discovery future chairs, and they all and, and you're looking over this marble promenade that has fountains and glass fixtures and the Gucci stores. And then behind us are these future lights that look like they might be the transporter room on the uh, USS Discovery. And as I'm sitting there, just sort of taking all of this in, a Jeffrey's assistant walks up to us. I mean, after all, Jeffrey is a fellow at Microsoft. Chris? Yeah. Hi, I'm Suzanne. Hi, Susan. Just take you up. Sorry, my hands are cold. Oh no problem. Are you, are you are you that for me? You well? me? Grab the. So I hand off the microphone to Hadiya, and we go through several different layers of glass doors that she seems to authenticate with her badge. Netflix. You know, and then the glass doors open, and then she says something to us that sort of stuck out, and I, I had to, I had to like think about it for a moment before we sat down, and before we did all of our conversation. She says to me and to Hadiya. Would you like to buy something to drink before we go into the conference room? Not would you like something to drink? Would you like to buy something to drink? Now, my experience at the Redmond campus was on every floor, they just have like a store area where you can just go in and get anything you want for free. Uh, but this is a temporary building that they're only in for a couple of years. So they don't have the traditional Microsoft infrastructure. And it gives it like this small company feeling because they're not like
2: regular Microsoft. Yeah, we've got the soda machine out back if, if you need something.
0: So I turn around the corner and uh, we meet, Hadi and I, we meet Jeffrey and Joey. Mm-hmm.
5: Thank you. Hey, Come hi, get hey,
0: Chris. hi Jeffrey. Hi Jeffrey, nice to meet you. Joey, thanks for Nice to meet you. This Your name is Hadia.
5: Hadia. Hadia, nice
7: to meet you, like,
5: Hadia.
7: Like, like quesadilla. Nice <laughs> to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. It's really the only Where should, should we ever. sit? Where would you Where is the, the room? Oh, well, okay
0: then. And Jeffrey might have been the most perfect person for us to talk to.
7: Yeah, I'm Jeffrey Snover. I'm a technical fellow at Microsoft.
0: He's been there for 18 years. Wow. And Joey also joined us. He's the PM for PowerShell. And what's great about both these guys is they're Linux guys.
6: I'm Joey Aiello, and I'm the program manager for PowerShell Core.
0: But while I was setting up for the interview, and so I apologize for the audio and some of the noise in the background, but we just had the recorder going. While we're setting up to start talking to them, Jeffrey tells me that uh, 18 years ago, he never thought he'd work for Microsoft.
7: You know, I was reading your um, or listening to your podcast about oh they're doing this and this and it's like no that's no not that's not plan. it okay good yeah, exactly well that's a good place to start I'll, exactly I'll, I'll get you give the us way anymore. too much credit
0: <laughs> oh really oh I see see I, I I had some sort of master plan yeah
7: well I do tell you. yeah that was the thing I. Uh, when I started at the company, like the last thing I wanted to do was to come work for Microsoft. You know, I thought them the evil uh, corporate, yeah, yeah. evil empire. I knew all this, and um, and then when I came in and visited, you know, I actually I, my joke was I never joined Microsoft. I joined this one executive. He was just <laughs> yeah. an awesome yeah. exec. And uh, then I got in here. and It's like, oh yeah, no, it's, it's it's not malice. It's it's not evil. It's just people whose hair's on fire. People whose hair
0: is on fire, which totally echoes some of my other industry experience, uh, and so I'm like, "Oh, that's that's super interesting." Joey, the uh, PowerShell project manager, says, "Oh yeah, me too. I was a Gen Two guy. I never thought I'd work at Microsoft."
6: It was the same for me. Yeah, really. Come in, yeah. I mean, come in from college, and uh, I've been here almost four years, and it's it's. Uh,
0: you weren't thinking you'd be at Microsoft either.
6: No. no. But you, yeah, you come and meet a bunch of smart people, and everybody's yeah. solving problems, okay. and it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's just uh, you realize very quickly, you know, everything is always official, right? It's like you see something come out, like an, right. an update or something, and right. it's like, oh, it's Microsoft, right? right that like put this you don't thing see the group out, and then you're, like, it, the people you're it. like, oh, it's just like there's three guys over there that just like did that, you yeah. know? Yeah, so.
0: especially when it's a big company, you tend to think it's like, oh, it's a
7: team of a thousand, right? Team of two thousand, right. right? Right, exactly. No, it's
0: like Joe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. It was really kind of interesting because they, they, they felt – I felt from them like they wanted to advocate their position. And I got a sense that's kind of why I was there uh, and the PowerShell team specifically. you know, Now Microsoft has open sourced a lot of things including .NET Core, Visual Studio Code, and then PowerShell came along. And I think they knew that there would be a lot of skepticism in the Linux community. And they also knew that they had a long road ahead of them but I got the sense that they were completely
7: committed to it, and that's why I was there. You know, we just knew you know, we were not going to be greeted as, like, liberators to the Linux community, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay. How do we like, deal with that? How do we get the tone right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How do we get the culture right, both yeah. in the product and how we engage them? We're still trying community? to Yeah, and That's what go. the
0: conversation was in Coder Radio. So what is going on here?
7: So I kept having the conversation. I
0: got them on mic. This is all just on the pre-setup while we were getting ready to go. I got them on mic, and I started to get a sense... Of why Microsoft is trying so hard, you know, you can judge how successful they are with engaging open source community, uh, with being a quote unquote good Linux community citizen. But I got a real sense that there is something that's driving them. It's not just um, it's not just marketing. I, I got a sense that perhaps the situation is becoming such that one of their biggest money makers, Azure is simply becoming a predominant Linux platform. And that's just the reality that they're in. And no matter how Microsoft spins the numbers, there's more and more Linux systems than Windows systems on Azure.
7: Yeah, no, I don't know if you've seen but on Azure, um, you know, look, here's a here's the reality. I mean, it's just you just look at the mm-hmm. the world and mm-hmm and do the math, right? If we say Azure is the Windows cloud, okay, well, then you're taking off a very large portion of the world. Mm -hmm. You're just saying, I'm not going to go get that market. That doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And then you can't be a trusted uh, supplier to those companies that said, I want a heterogeneous world. So we have have been investing for years in great Linux support. And now that number of uh, of Linux VMs is almost equal to the number of Windows VMs.
0: Mm. That's impressive. Wow. That has – that's uh, I, I mean I think the last number I heard from Azure was was 30 percent or something like that, which is getting higher it's, and higher.
7: Yeah, it's going higher fast. And he
0: does one of these like way higher. no, wow. Like just yeah. – like it's maybe more closer to 50-50. Uh, and Microsoft can't spin that any other way. They have to acknowledge that reality. Um, so he said something in there that sounded like spin, but I got a better understanding of it. He said you know we 've invested for years in Linux well, what the f does that mean right yeah
2: that 's a very vague statement uh,
0: I went deeper on that in Coda radio this week, and i I kind of encourage you guys to go check that out i know that 's a that 's a super punt, uh, and I apologize but um i i we we just talk about the tools that people use for developing software uh deeper in Coda radio so in episode two ninety six Chris goes to Microsoft. Um, they, uh, specifically Joey, <clears throat> who we haven't heard from yet, talks more about retooling their windows only team around Linux and all of that stuff, which was really interesting. So we, we do deep dive into how they made that transition, but I wanted to talk with you guys about the really super awkward spot that I was sensing that Microsoft is in. And, um, I really appreciated what they couldn't say. In this clip, I want you to I want you to listen with certain kinds of ears on Microsoft. I think this is Chris here speculating, but I think Microsoft has realized that the future is not on Windows. The the hot action on, for the future is not Windows. Perhaps maybe they even have some insights into what a shit show Windows is that we don't have on the outside. Yeah, and so they 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 fundamentally understand at a level that we can't even appreciate on the outside of why Windows is not our future. I'm just going to speculate here for a moment. Maybe I'm wrong. But they seem to be in a very awkward position. They can't just come right out and crap on Windows and say, Microsoft is no longer about Windows anymore. Microsoft is all about open source and Linux because they have a billion users on Windows who will go, well, what the hell, guys? What about us? At the same time, they can't come out and say Windows is the best thing ever because they'll piss off all of the Linux and open source community, which is where they're trying to get to. Uh,
7: however, we've had some experience here. And, and basically what we want to do is to not try and give a signal on any, on any platform. As much as possible, what we want to do is we want to support all the platforms that somebody Wants at the same time, oh, okay. right? So we had a, an exec that had come from from Sun, and they said, "Yeah, so you know, we we're so committed to you know uh, you know Solaris, and people thought, well, we're not committed to Linux, and so we said, you know what, we're going to do, we're going to we're going to prove that we're committed to Linux. So we're going to do Linux a week before we release the Sun thing. And he said, and then their entire customer base said, oh, so you're not committed to Solaris anymore? It's like, ah, oh, yeah, they've just got it wrong. Yeah, so we have now seen we, that we don't always get that right, mm-hmm. but wherever we we can, we're going to say, these are the platforms we want to support and support them all at the same time.
0: Mm-hmm. And and then I, so I suppose right now, from a lot of our perspectives on the outside, it's a bit of spinning up to oh, Visual Studio Codes out now, .NET's out, PowerShell is out. It seems like a bunch of catch up, but what this really is, is going to just become the new normal.
7: Yes, that's right.
0: The new normal. Wow. So what is that? The new normal <clears throat> is they slowly bring a lot of things up to cross platform over time. So PowerShell and OpenSSH come to Windows and PowerShell comes to Linux and Mac. Not because they just all of a sudden decided to flip a switch, but because they open source .net core and then they rebase PowerShell core on .net core. You see where we're going here? I do. And uh with that, after they've laid the groundwork for .NET and they've gotten developers on Git, and then once they've gotten developers understanding Git and taking pull requests and all of that, then they get them on Visual Studio Code, and once they have everybody on Visual Studio Code debugging uh the software, then they can launch PowerShell Core. And um and this we go into more details in code radio but the thing that they said which i thought was uh, pretty remarkable is powershell core the version that's on windows and the version that's on linux and the version that's on mac is replacing standard powershell on windows so no more powershell on windows i mean it's going to be there they're going to maintain it right
2: well of course i mean
0: but the version that's shipping on linux is the future of powershell core do you see what I'm saying? Like the ver- PowerShell, the version that's on Windows, like the the original version of PowerShell.
6: I'm Joey Aiello, and I'm the program manager for PowerShell Core.
0: And Joey here for PowerShell Core is the guy that's heading all of this up and hel- helping them get ready to make this open source version to replace this version that's been shipping on only Windows for years.
6: It's been phenomenal, yeah. So so we actually uh, were proud to state that in, in the release of PowerShell 6 that uh, roughly half of the pull requests that came in uh, for PowerShell 6 were from the community.
0: So they've open-sourced PowerShell. They went with PowerShell Core 6, and they've had a pretty good engagement from the community. Uh, but I, I thought, you know, this was... I don't know. It's almost too perfect. So I wanted to ask them a few other questions about it. And I wanted to get specifically uh, into bugs. So uh, I'm going to replay this clip from the beginning and take taking a perspective of what about bugs? What about like con- people contributing issues back to PowerShell?
6: It's been phenomenal. Yeah. So so we actually uh, were proud to state that in in the release of PowerShell 6 that uh, roughly half of the pull requests that came in uh, for PowerShell 6 were from the community. In particular, we had a, a ton of work done um, in the web command. It's the invoke web request and REST method layer um by by one uh, contributor in particular uh mark e kraus um there's also been uh, a number of guys uh you know just sort of cleaning up the long tail like this is one of the great things about open source right you have you have people who know they need these really big features and are highly experienced and are able to code up um you know all all these custom uh, uh rest method and and uh you know authentication headers and and proxy bypass and and multi-part support and all these things in the web request layer. Um, But then you have folks who say, hey, uh, all your error messages still say Windows PowerShell, right? And and someone who has a lot less coding experience is is able to sort of jump into GitHub, make a contribution for the first time, uh, scrub all these error messages, and improve mm. the product for everybody. And it's it's one of those things that uh, you know we know is important, but that we'd probably not get around to, or if we did, something else would have to get sacrificed, right? And and by having people who you know the sort of Wikipedia approach, right, of like you have a thousand people you know fixing your typos, um, then then you really end up with a, a much higher quality. Product and uh, you know we've 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 seen a lot of that in PowerShell um, and and I think the uh, you know that fifty percent PR community PR number is a testament to that.
0: Yeah. Okay. So that is pretty good. Yeah. But I pushed Joey a little bit further. I'm like, okay, yeah, but 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 there must have been some sort of esoteric, typical open source community moment. Uh, and Jeffrey and Joey kind of both smile and they look at each other and go, "Well, there was the very first issue that came in." that happened to be a bit memorable and um, it happened to be from the curl developer,
6: you know, so we're, we're all sort of very happy and, and uh, you know, patting each other on the back and, and about five or six hours later, um, a pull request came in um, from uh, none other than the, the creator of, of uh, curl. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to get his name wrong, but uh, first name is Daniel. Really awesome guy. We had an email exchange afterwards and, and just a super nice guy. Um, But the, um, but the gist of the pull request was was simply to remove uh, two aliases um, from PowerShell. So, so some years ago, uh, PowerShell had had used uh, a bunch of aliases uh, for some of the core commandlets in order to uh, entice or make things more comfortable for Linux users, um, with no expectation at the time that, that PowerShell was going to ship on Linux. So, for instance, ls uh, was an alias, as was dir for get child item, right, to get the directory listing, or um, you know, even CD, right? So uh, so some of the aliases that were added uh, were curl and wget, um, and those were there to uh, draw users to invoke web request and invoke rest method. Um, well, the creator of curl, rightfully so, said, you know, that's, that's the name of my project. Um, you're not invoking <laughs> uh-huh. curl. Curl for Windows has been out for a very long time, and you're making things really hard for my users who have to tack on .exe in order to run curl for Windows. Um, so now that you're open source, you're trying to be good guys, like add this back uh, or or remove this alias. And, uh, and we responded in kind saying, Hey, you know, this is totally agree with you. This is a breaking change. We got to follow our governance process here that we had, you know, fortunately codified very explicitly and said, this is our process for breaking changes. And he was very amenable uh, uh, and, and understanding of that. But within uh, a few minutes of having posted that pull request, it, it was now number one on Hacker News. Um, And we had, um, you know, GIFs and, you know, Trolls, Michael Jackson eating popcorn—you know, hundreds. Like it was, it, t- it took minutes to load in my browser, kind of thing. So, um, so so we got we got a very good lesson very early on on you know the importance of optics and and how you know these things. It was you know these two aliases that that really uh, drove hundreds of people to our project. Um, but ultimately, I think we we took care of it in a minimal way and and uh, you know we we removed the aliases among a number of other aliases in PowerShell Core. Um, we we decided to leave them in Windows PowerShell for some period of time because users were depending on them uh it's now best practice not to use aliases and scripts so that you're not depending on them um but uh but the the nice epilogue as we were saying to the to the story was that uh curl is actually now available in windows so so we need to go revisit uh, uh that and and uh yeah and in then in the next version of windows we're shipping tar and tar and curl so um yeah it's it's we we live in a, a brave new world yeah for sure.
0: a brave new world wow. that ships tar and curl in windows heck yeah you know, I bonded with Joey. I mean, I so Jeffrey. Um, what what impressed? So that's where you got that pro license from. Yeah, right? I see. What impressed me about Jeffrey is that uh, he has been at Microsoft for eighteen years, um, and we cover this in Coda Radio again. Sorry, obnoxious plug, but he talks about how he went into Microsoft and created PowerShell with the intention of essentially trying to rip off some of the stuff you can do in Bash. Totally. He's like he says like I yeah. even I even wrote a blog post about it. I've always acknowledged this, uh, and it turned out it failed horribly. And then like he totally talks about why it didn't work on Windows, and it's super interesting because it's much more about where Linux is now with wow. Journal Ctl and all. It's 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 a great talk. Obnoxious plug, one more time. Go check out the whole interview, and because I, I, really went down there for Coda Radio, and I grabbed that stuff for this show. Yeah, I went down there. Ew. So go check out Coda Radio two ninety six, um, where we have more. But I, I love talking to those guys because neither one of them thought they'd be Microsoft employees, and then they ended up there. Jeffrey's been there for about uh, Jeffrey's been there for eighteen years. Joey's been there for four years. And he and I were Gen 2 users at the same time, so we, we uh, after, after we were done- Kindred we, spirits. Yeah, there. we chatted about all of that and had a good chat, but uh, JJ, I know you had some things you wanted to mention, and I wanted to open it up to the uh, v for anybody else, but JJ, did you have something, I, I saw something go by that you wanted to start with, so uh, I opened it up to you, sir.
5: So, me personally, I am a uh, dual booter still at this moment, at this time in this conversation, and I also still pay attention to a lot of Windows news. and It's not really a surprise that Windows, that Microsoft is embracing open source. Uh, Satya Nadella, like during the early days of Satya Nadella's tenure, he sort of. He sort of emphasized the future is with uh, devices, but not specifically Windows devices. And I do remember that presentation he had with that, uh, that iPhone with uh, Microsoft Surface uh, services on it, and that was like a shock to a lot of uh, probably a lot of Windows geeks. It's, and also with the fact that Windows Mobile is not really a viable option at this point, and other stuff like that. And there's also talks about. Uh, also with the the future of Windows 10s and also with the uh, rumor Polaris devices um, it seems that Windows seems to be less of a power user OS and more of a um, more of a normals OS but I'm not sure I'm not sure if um, like uh, Linux will take I mean Linux will probably take over the power users to those who really actually really want it there's still those enterprises who sort of are are not looking at Linux at the moment, and I'm sort of uh, yeah. It's sort of a mix. So um,
0: I couldn't like put this in recording and play it as a clip. But the thing that uh, I walked away with, the understanding that I managed to achieve, like the meta understanding, was um, how do I put this one in a way that's not insulting to myself? Um, so the, a lot of the stuff that I have sort of been calculating as a master stroke by Microsoft to sort of embrace and extend Linux. Isn't so much that as it is the result of about three and a half years of people that used to be suppressed that now have a little more leverage and certain people were laid off and made room for folks like Joey about four years ago and guys straight out of college that were running Gentoo four years ago were allowed to come into Microsoft and run things like the PowerShell group and they did a bit of a changing of a guard. And there were people like Jeffrey, who's been there for 18 years, who were always kind of hip to, I'm coming here as a former Unix user and I want to bring Bash to Windows, which is where PowerShell came from. So he was already kind of hip to the future direction. So folks like him now have assistants and their own corner office and their own people working beneath them and they can summon podcasters like me to their office. Yeah, Because they they hold way more authority than they did Definitely. under Balmer or Gates. And folks like like Jeff uh, like Joey who's four years out of college are running the PowerShell core group now. And they and he's like work he's got people on his team where they run Max. That's all they do is they use Max. He's got a guy on his team who runs Arch. He's got plenty of users. He talked we talk wow. about people that are running Ubuntu because they're they're working on PowerShell Which is a shell, so they have to be using it every single day to work out the things that you know shells do differently on different operating systems. Absolutely.
5: Yeah, and also the and also I would like to say that um, I do have a connection to uh, I think the head of the Microsoft graph, and he's a Linux user. He's an open source proponent and Linux user as well. Well, I'm not sure open source proponent, but he does use Linux.
0: Yeah, I, I kinda wonder if it's uh if they're not if, if the if the big secret about Microsoft isn't um, isn't isn't anything that we've speculated about. Like the thing that we've missed is the the, the the dirty secret, the elephant in the room about Microsoft is they've they've moved beyond Windows before their customer base has. Oh
2: yeah, definitely. Right? Very but much they, so. But, yeah, but
0: they're still making money from it. So they can't say anything. And it's super awkward for them. And so like you go down there and these guys are pretty enthusiastic about what they're doing. and they can't, But they can't come right out and say Windows is the past because they'd be happy for people to continue using Windows for the next Absolutely. 25 years. It, go ahead. They'll sell it to you. Platforms. Yeah, go ahead. We'll, we'll ship it on Windows. We'll ship it on the web. We'll ship it on the Mac. We'll ship it on Linux. We're happy to do it. They used a term that we go into more detail on Quota Radio. But they use a term called Ambient Microsoft. Ambient Microsoft. They just want to be anywhere and everywhere that you might need them. And he said, Jeffrey, the mission that was communicated to him by Satya directly, make it possible for our customers to do more with their computers, and our sales guys will figure out a way to make money from it. So that was the directive. Not make it work on Windows. Not make it a uh, platform lock-in. Figure out how to make them more money and get them, get them to do more work with their computers. And our smart sales guys who we pay way too much money to will go out there and figure out a way to nickel and dime them for it. Wow. And th- <laughs> so he's detached now from that. And that's, if you think about that, that's an interesting thing because that's where PowerShell comes from on Linux. Because now Linux administrators from, from their Linux – from their Ubuntu desktop – can manage with one script an Ubuntu box and 15 Linux servers and 15 Windows servers and 15 CentOS servers and you know 15 yeah. uh, uh, SUSE servers right and and, and, and and a handful of Macs. like all of these now can be uh, managed from one script, and they take care of all of the communications between RPM and Debian or all the different you know, little different like implementation layer things. You, if you're a, if you're a Windows shop and you've got a bunch of SuSE systems and Ubuntu systems and CentOS systems, that's pretty valuable. Yeah, all or of you a sudden,
2: buy someone else and they have those systems, and
0: which is actually something that happens more often than we talk about. Totally. Uh, then you start to understand. Oh, that's why it's ambient Microsoft. That's why they're open sourcing open sourcing .NET Core and PowerShell. Because then, then all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, when. When you're coming from a huge Microsoft infrastructure, an on-premises setup that's really deep in Windows, you can use some of your investments in scripts to administer your systems, to set up users, to create databases, to set up patches. You can start to leverage that time across Linux systems, and it can be on an Ubuntu, a SUSE, a Fedora, a CentOS machine. And the the name attached to it, the brand attached to it is Microsoft, which is about as damn good as Google, Apple, and Microsoft
2: And then whether you need, you know, new infrastructure, be it Linux or Windows, you'll reach for their cloud. I'm not sure where I
0: sit with all of this, but I do recognize from a position of somebody who was in the trenches trying to implement this stuff. And when somebody would come at you with, well, this is IBM Tivoli backup. It's made by IBM. So... We should implement this. And then we did it. And it was the worst (laughs) frickin' backup system we'd ever (laughs) used. And then later on down the road, well, Microsoft recommends that you should upgrade an NT4 network to Windows 2000 and definitely don't use this Linux thing. And then that all of a sudden became a benchmark in which we were judged by. And it was this, you couldn't avoid the brand. Well, now that brand can be used to manage Linux systems. And they can be on-premises, they can be in Azure Cloud, they can be on DigitalOcean, it doesn't matter. And they don't care. They don't care. They legitimately don't seem to care. If you want to run it on an Ubuntu box and you don't have any Windows systems on-premises, but you want to use PowerShell, they're happy. Go for it. Yeah, they're good with it. Like, okay, we'll be there. We're ambient Microsoft now.
2: (laughs) It's really something. Just like the rain, man, just like the rain.
0: I don't know what to make of it. Yeah, they're takes but they're basically taking the Pacific Northwest weather patterns, weather patterns and applying it to
2: uh, to the technology it's an marketplace structure too for the for the business. You know, instead of building what the salesmen sell, the salesmen are selling what you what you create.
5: Yeah. I mean, it it also leads to uh, better better products and all that from Microsoft uh, with regards to like the Microsoft Garage experimenting on uh, Android and iOS with many of their apps. Um those seem to, and this sort of um, idea sort of stemmed from their mobile give up of um, Windows Mobile. I would say.
0: Yeah, yeah. They, I think, yeah. After Windows Mobile kind of failed, and and Windows RT and all of that stuff, and then Satya Nadella takes over. There's just sort of this. Uh, all right. Well, we'll we'll figure out how to make money at doing this, and that's just sort of been the drive.
3: So I have a question. Um, I'm actually seeing Microsoft moving away from, like, providing an ecosystem with their operating system to more something like providing infrastructure and projects uh, in regarding of software. Yeah. That runs maybe everywhere.
0: Right. I would agree with that sort of summarization. Yes.
3: Okay. But what about all the... Um, legacy software that is out there that, that relies on, on, on the yeah Microsoft uh, yeah. Windows 10 code base. And they're happy to that's keep making money from that, too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. But but that's definitely not something that will change in in a few years. No, that's, I think that's, that's... not going away that quickly.
0: I think that's why they're... Yeah, but, I think that's why they're more than happy for the situation. That exact... Si- that right. reason.
5: Right. Yeah. And there's also the... Bridges, such as Wait, the hold on. Like,
0: let producer let, 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 let let Michael go.
4: Sorry. I was just going to say that Microsoft is compartmentalized. So, yeah, this one group... Might be, uh, we're, you know, we we want PowerShell to be everywhere. We want, you know, Azure to, to have Linux and .NET is open source and all that stuff. Yeah, but the other side is making Windows ten and they're locking everything down. Yeah, there's different. Exactly. There's, yeah, there's
0: different. There's different. Um, there's different priorities. There's different fiefdoms. However. I did I did genuinely get the sense that uh what they're cooking everybody else is smelling like it start it starts with like one or two projects and then it's something else in the company and then something else and it does seem to be a bit of a snowball effect but I'm not going
2: to sit here and tell you that they're going to open source mi- Microsoft Office right but the, the autonomy is interesting too right it's more about it's in some ways it's about like they weren't told no like oh you want to make VS code an electron multi platform and you're not using windows technology not a problem, and so that just gets fed back into the company.
0: Yeah, and now, now like the yeah, now like when they write the debugger for .NET Core, instead of it being a Visual Studio only thing, it's something that they just they just sort of like open sourced. And there's like an Emacs plugin. There's Ooh. you can do it in Vim. You can do it in Visual Studio Code. You can do it in Atom. Like it's just All this. Right. Yeah, it's interesting to see this approach, uh, and I think it's going uh, to make them just a crap ton of money. Old
4: extinguish thing.
0: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It is. It is, and they're going to get rich. They're going to make. They're going. They're going to be. They're going to be one of the biggest money makers off of open source. Isn't that something? They've gone from cancer to this. I mean, it, it was deep, and I mean, think about this. We need to move on, but think about this. It was in the DNA of this company. Like, Bill Gates goes to one of the computer clubs and says, you're devaluing software by giving it away. He writes, a, he writes this letter, a manifesto, and says, we've got to stop giving away software. We've got to charge for it. I mean, it's in the DNA of the company. And then Bill Gates moves on. He goes and becomes whatever he is now. And Ballmer takes over. And it's all, it's all about Windows everywhere. It's all about Windows everywhere. Windows first. And now here we are, and Linux is a cancer when Balmer's running. And now here we are with Saatchi and and the people that have sort of been reshuffled underneath Saatchi three or four years later. Definitely feels like a different message. What were you going to say?
4: Yeah, so it seems like uh, Microsoft's got the Linux chemo in now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, right. They did, right? Yeah. (sighs) Nice. (laughs) I mean, wherever we're at, I think one of the bigger commentaries is the Linux Foundation now will sell you a $300 course. A $300 course on administering Linux on Azure, LFS 205. Uh, it is a course from the Linux Foundation on using Linux on Azure. That's where we're at in 2018. It is The Linux Foundation is selling you a $300 course. On, on that. I'm signing up right now. Whew. I mean, that is really... I mean, if that doesn't tell you where things have gotten in the last few years. um. So, we, everybody's waiting around for it. I, I appreciate all you, you guys waiting. We're going to do our plasma check-in. Everybody, you're running it. Yeah. I'm running it. I, I've been updating like crazy. Like There's great, Yeah? You even did, too. Like, I thought you weren't going to update this. I don't know. For some reason, I thought you were, like, on a different version or something, but...
2: I thought I was, too. But no, I've been keeping up better than I realized. Look at me. <laughs> I know.
0: You know what, Wes? This is what happens. Wes either
2: manages all his
0: systems with, like, this centralized management platform that can handle millions of systems or he's just app-get updating like a maniac and <laughs> and then a little upgrade here and there and who cares, right? You know it. I like how you roll, Wes. Well, so I've been trying out KDE Neon User Edition um, and uh, other folks like I think Popey and I know Noah have been trying out KDE Neon LTS Edition. Well, those evil um, planning sneaky jerks over at the uh, Neon Project who have been setting all of you LTS users up for ages, preparing you for a big – big trick, have pulled out the rug from underneath you and devastated your lives by hiding the Ooh. Neon LTS edition. <laughs> um, so I uh, I, I got to tell you, one of the – so every week there's, there's like a couple of stories that I get a bunch of feedback on or like links. Yep. And I, I actually – I'm not saying this to stop any of it because sometimes it's actually a very valuable data signal. So I'm not disparaging those of you who did this. But I got a lot of telegrams and tweets and emails this week about – Hey, Chris, did you you see what they're doing? Hey, did you see what they're doing, Chris? And they would send me the link to this uh, blog post. It's short. It's one paragraph. It's one dense paragraph uh, by Jonathan Riddle over at the Neon blog. And it says this. With the new Plasma LTS came an update to KD Neon LTS edition and lots of people asking which edition to use and what the difference is. I'll say this too by the way. Uh once once we announced the uh the uh, KD Neon Plasma Challenge, the number one question, z uh, without any kind of like close competitor, the number one question that we got was are you doing the user edition or the LTS edition and what's the difference? In fact, I would be willing to bet, producer Michael, is that not one of the number one questions that's in the Telegram group and in the community is sh- what's the difference between the LTS edition and the user edition?
4: Yes? That's the number one question I get every time, all the time. someone ever all the time. mentions neon yeah. at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and so um <laughs> I am not surprised when I read that that was the number one question that came into the project. And so they say this caused us to review the purpose of the LTS and as a result, we've just hidden it from the download page. Um so I want to I want to dig a little bit into this for a second because it's it has caused some people to say, "What's going on?" Why is the project abandoning their LTS? What's going on,
2: Wes? I don't know.
0: (laughs) Figure it out. Well, you know what? We have figured it out. We have. And we'll tell you more about it here in just a moment. But first, as we do here on the show, we got to pay the bills. We got to thank Linux Academy. And I got to thank everybody for signing up at Linux Academy. Um, You might notice that we have the same sponsors here on the show from time to time. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Have you noticed that? Not at all. Yeah, I appreciate that a lot, Wes. No problem. (laughs) I got you back. Yeah. Just like Linux Academy. Yeah, they do, don't they? Um, And here's why. Um, We could spend our time researching show topics, contacting guests, building community, trying out different infrastructure items. Or I could spend my time selling the show to different advertisers. And I could have mattresses on here. Uh, I could have food. All the mattresses. Hey, what about HelloFresh? Would you like to have some free food? That does sound fresh. Yeah, well, there you go. Um, And what I've decided to do instead is I've decided to invest in certain sponsors that are genuine fits for our audience, like Linux Academy. I, I, I honestly know that all of us can use this service. I'm a subscriber, so I can say that with confidence. They give you advanced training tools to increase your skills and encourage critical thinking around everything about Linux. So think about that for a moment. That's the that's where they start, right? That's where they start. So that's going to make you super competitive in the industry. And then they give you the tools to accomplish this, like hands-on labs, scenario-based labs. They'll spin up virtual machines if it's AWS or if it's a local Linux box. You can SSH into that and get a hands-on experience. They have human beings, actual instructors that can help you whenever you get stuck. They have self-paced in-depth video courses on every Linux, cloud, and DevOps topic. And my favorite freaking feature about Linux Academy is their course scheduler because I've got three kids, I run my own business, and I fancy myself a road tripper. So when the hell am I going to get any kind of studying done? When am I ever going to learn about new things? Well, my friends, (coughs) Linux Academy has a course scheduler. You pick what you want to do, you set your time frames, and they'll help you stick to it. If you want like reminders or goals, you want to download the study guides, they'll help you do all of that. And then when you're ready to take the exam, they've got testing for that, too. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there, sign up for a free seven-day trial, and support the show. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux. I know, right? A big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. Okay. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. So guys, let's do the uh let's do our plasma updates. Let's do our plasma check-in. Um because uh I, I, I thought this would be like a big production because we made a big deal about it last week. And now that we're here, I just have a big meh. This is what I'm doing now. This is how I'm doing it from now on. Like it's just sort of now my life. It's I don't have like a oh man, plasma totally failed me story. I don't have anything like that. It's just a big uh this has been great and I would say I like it better today than I did the week before, and the week before that. Is that right? Yeah. Why? Uh, well, the the uh, the the five twelve upgrade was solid for me, but um, and I think you experienced this today I, too. Yeah. When when I I move between machines and then I open up console, and it's been like a week since I've opened up console. And that son of a bitch opens up in the same exact place <laughs> that I op- You know what I'm talking I about. Sure it dear. opens yes. up in
2: West. It's, it's just right there.
0: Right where I left it. Right where my memory goes, where my muscle memory goes. It's like super small stuff like that. That I, I mean it's that times a thousand. I know that seems stupid and small, but if you add it up to all of the stuff, like uh the quadrant tiling when I'm moving my windows around and the way it snaps and I can resize, it just works so damn fast
2: and efficient. I can't even help myself. I just... You feel like you're coming home a little bit more. And yeah. Gnome, Gnome felt it's like a mom's little, it was cooking. Nice, but you it was more like I was using a public terminal and I kind of spun up a new shelf. No,
0: you know what? Here's what it is, Wes.
2: Like, Gnome, Gnome is like me living
0: out in the city. You know, I'm out living in the city. It's clean. There's a lot of different delivery services. Uh, it's it's kind of got like a coldness to it. That's Gnome. That, that, that's Gnome. But like, Plasma? Plasma is like coming home... To mom's cooking.
4: Get it out of here.
0: And it just is delicious. It just works the way I want it every time I come back to it. You know, it's just the same thing mom's been making me for the last three weeks. And it's cheesy
2: it, goodness right there on top.
0: And if I haven't gotten I'm 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 under I'm gonna underball this. Everybody likes to exaggerate on the internet. I'm gonna under exaggerate here for a second. I've gotten a hundred different tweets and telegrams and emails. And I'm un, I'm under exaggerating and and i would say 8 out of 10 are switching wow yeah i would say there's a uh, there's a couple that are like not working for me in fact the number one thing i think i've heard because it's about 5 of them is they're going back to cinnamon
2: cinnamon interesting cinnamon cinnamon <laughs> I
0: know, right? Okay. I know. I you mean, know I've enjoyed cinnamon a lot. Me too. In, in times. Me for too. Sure. <laughs> Me too. Me too. Me too. It's just funny, though. It is funny, <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> I'm not trying to laugh at them. No, I'm no, not not. at all. No, I'm not. I'm not. Because I've been there, but it is like a weird one. <laughs> cinnamon. Anyway, you sent them
2: like a mate link at the end. <laughs> um.
0: So I want to go around the horn here and I want to start with Mr. Neon Popey because uh, I've gotten a lot of different people interested in this. But the one I'm most curious in is I, – I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, Popey. But I think you and I were both like Unity 7 for life uh, before this experiment, correct? Yeah. I'm i am not a, a distro hopper
8: by any stretch. Like I've used Unity for years and years and before that I used M2. I've used Ubuntu forever since it's existed um, before that debian and before that red hat so we're talking a very very long time ago so i just don't switch distro at all and that's not because i'm employed by canonical but it's i didn't switch before i started working at canonical It's a big waste of work and time like that's st- right it's getting used to new you stuff got kids. All, so i was quite happy i you know it's like you know that whole question about why do you use what you use it's because i like it it's not because the competition is terrible or because other things, uh, you know, have awful workflows. It's just, I like the workflow that I have. So everyone else who hates it, fair enough. Use something else. I like this, right? So I like unity seven. So yes, I have been, you know, unity seven for life, unity seven, master race and all that stuff. But, um, you suggested KD neon. So I thought I'd give it a go.
0: Now, here we are. We, You and I are over two weeks, really, and how long we've been using this. But it's a solid two weeks. Um, what is well, your if you thoughts? Don't, if you don't count the faffing
8: around on the plane. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> um, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I'm still using it. I'm talking to you now from a mumble snap on KD and like I was last week. Still works. I don't even think I've rebooted since last week. I don't know. Um, but, yeah, it just works. It wakes yeah. up super fast when yes. I open the lid and all my windows refresh and like you said you open console and it opens in exactly the same place at the same size same font size everything just remembered where it was yep um yeah everything seems to be working. i i didn't have quite a smooth experience as you did with the upgrade to oh, uh, really? 512 yeah you uh you got you it you went from 58 five, to 512 you got it the day before oh, i did right i went from no, 511 no, 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 that's, that's not why. So you, you did it the day before I did and I got it pretty soon after the next day the problem I had was their server went down while I was midway through an upgrade or <laughs> they rebooted wow. it or it had an outage or it was just let's let's be let's be favorable and say it was super popular right because there were lots of people uh, joining joining us on this journey and um, lots of people are upgrading at the same time could be that's entirely plausible and so um, I got network disconnections connecting to their server
0: we unplugged um, them oh Ooh. Yeah. Uh
8: but all I did was wait a little while and restart the upgrade it carried on fine so no problem. Um and I've upgraded to 512 and everything seems tickety boo.
0: Yeah, so they're they're hiding the LTS version <laughs> and my sense of it uh and producer Michael I'd like to hear your take on it because I know you've been watching the situation is my se- my sense of is is well there was some bugs in the LTS version specifically around discover software that Uh, We just didn't catch because nobody on the team is using it, so we don't really want to put it forward. Uh, The LTS version is still going to exist. The repositories are still getting updated. The main difference between the LTS version and the user edition is that the LTS version ships Plasma LTS. Right. User edition ships current Plasma with the current Ubuntu LTS. Uh, But but wasn't there some sort of issue with Discover that sort of brought all of this to a front? (laughs)
4: It's an issue with Discover every time they make a new version.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is there really? See, I didn't know that. Is this, like, a common thing?
4: Discover is a... someone who's a Plasma fan, Discover is annoying.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, it's but, it's one of those... It's, like, one of those features that's really kind of nebulous
4: because it's built for, like, the supposed new user, right? I mean... And the Discover has, like, amazing ideas and concepts. It's just they're not fully flushed out yet. So, like, there's a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of... Uh, annoyances in that case but as far as this goes it's really a discovered problem it was a the, the 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 main thing is that there's people not using it the developers don't, don't yeah. use it so they put so little attention into it it doesn't really make sense for them Bug to do it and honestly, I, didn't think, I think they just, I, I never thought they should have done it in the first place because it defeats the point of neon right yeah because okay. if you're going to roll I, your your entire stack on top of a lts base why make part of that stack stop rolling for some reason I'd say I I haven't had any
8: um, issues with Discover, um, and I almost never open it. Um, as I mentioned last week, I installed half a dozen snaps, and I'm done. I've got every application I need on this system, yeah. and anything any additional libraries or command line tools, I'll use AppGet to install. The only time I've installed... Uh, I've opened discover is when I saw a notification that told me I had some updates to do. So I clicked it and discover opened and I pressed apply and they ran and then I closed the window and it went away and yeah, Discover is perfectly
4: fine. Discover 5.12 is 10 times better than 5.11. Oh, nice. It, oh, it's really? just that, it, it, yeah, it's just that, uh, as some people who were using the older versions, like if you did the full upgrade from five, from discover 5.11 or 5.8, eight. It might not go as smoothly, but if you use five twelve to do any updates, it's it's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Like I've done updates with Discover just to test it to see if it would do like the full thing, and it most of the time works. But when it fails, it fails badly. So mm-hmm. like okay, that's why like it's it's not it's not reliable. I would just say it's like well five twelve is so far. Uh, I just I just don't think people should you know use the super old stuff anyway. That's why I never really like the Plasma LTS yeah. anyway. So like uh-huh. it's it's, it's and, and they're not getting rid of it right so it's like it's yeah because they're still
0: testing against it
4: yeah they they still use it for development when I did um the the plasma video I had to do like some benchmarking so I that that was perfect that they oh, had sure. it so I could use five point eight but other than that I mean I, I wouldn't bother with it because it's the the fact that you get the stable upgrades from all the different plasma versions is great. Like I've done multiple tests, multiple machines. Plasma never crashes on any updates from any version. So there's no reason not to just use the regular neon.
0: Yeah. I, I actually agree, especially from like an end user standpoint. Um, I'll tell you where I can see the purpose of an LTS version of plasma. And that's when it comes to enterprise distros. Now take that for a second and then let's sort of zoom out. Um, a lot of the people that are talking here have been using desktop Linux for longer than 15 years. So we all kind of have some standing in this area. Poppy, were you going to say something? No. Um, and we're all saying this is working for us. And we're all saying this seems to use less resources – Despite the plasma is bloated myth, this seems to be using – it seems to be waking from sleep faster. It seems to be more stable. It remembers my settings and it crashes less. And I don't – like in Popey's case, he doesn't even think he's had to reboot in the last week. I don't think any of us are saying it's perfect. I don't think any of us are saying it doesn't have about a thousand defaults you might have to change.
8: But I think yeah, we'll, I just checked. Yeah. Uh, I've got an uptime of six days and 13 hours. Nice. So no, I, I haven't I haven't updated since last week's show.
0: Yeah, and you know, let me see. So this machine here that I do every single show for Jupiter Broadcasting on currently has, uh, yeah, an up, this has an uptime of uh, five days with three users. And I think that's only because I updated, I rebooted after I updated it to 512 five days ago. And uh, this is
8: this is like a common thing I do. I tend to leave my i i like leaving all my windows open. I just slam the lid shut, open it up when I want to carry on, and I, I like i i quite like having quite long uptimes. And well, okay. I like systems that are robust that so, can cope with that. Same.
0: This is the freaking elephant in the room, and we have to go because Ask Noah's coming up. But I gotta ask you guys, like, um, so why is Gnome – the the desktop, the shipping, all of on all of the enterprise distros, they're going to be supported until the middle of the twenty twenty fives or whatever. What what is it? Why why Legacy is it not branding. Plasma?
4: Legacy and branding. It's only, people people have known about GNOME for so long that just it has the market share. It has the recognition. The whole KDE Plasma or KDE's bloated thing that's been going around for years, which has never been true at all at any point, and. Like people just kept saying it. There was one bug in uh, four point three, no four point two of of plasma that made it sluggish for about four weeks until they replaced it. Replaced it with four point three, and at that point forward, it was fine. But that one thing just created this weird onslaught of just bad reputation for KDE. Bad reputation, and it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense other than weird legacy weird reputation and kind of bad branding because KDE isn't the name of the desktop. And that's, it's still the most common phrase we're describing, describing the desktop. So no. they need I, to fix their branding.
8: I'd say probably the reason why people choose or, um, projects have chosen gnome is probably because there's a billion dollar company behind it. um, Like most of the uh, if you if you asked any person in the street who's behind GNOME, they'd say Red Hat, they wouldn't say a community of developers, which they might say for KDE or Plasma, they'd say there's a community, nobody knows who Blue Systems are, or you know, um, or you know, how much money they have in the bank. And but Red Hat are a well known company, long established, well respected company who are behind the right. Gnome project. Yep. So yep. I think, I think that's, it. that's a reasonable reason why people choose Yeah,
0: GNOME. I, I think that's it, and that seems pretty reasonable to me. Uh, the only problem is, is that we are heading full, head. it's full steam ahead into Gnome, uh, even though a lot of us in this room who've had a lot of years doing this are saying maybe, and I think that's why we see a lot of projects like Solus and Elementary OS that are trying something a little different to try to strike that difference, and Ubuntu Mate and the Mate project itself. You, well, also, it's, I bet it's, you it's
4: something something to do with, as far as, like, the technical aspects, there's been a long thing about, of cute People had a problem with cute licensing and stuff, and they didn't want to deal with that, maybe. True. So yeah, did that that yeah, that did, yeah,
0: that didn't help. That didn't I help. don't know.
8: I, it's not a zero-sum game. For KDE to be good, GNOME doesn't have to be yep, bad. exactly. And for GNOME to be good, KDE doesn't, doesn't have to be bad. They can both right. be good in their own right
0: absolutely it just, it 100% it just happens to be that Plasma's good and Gnome's bad oh no no, no come on it was so good there it could have been the perfect ending and then you took it from us but I actually I want to echo that point I think he's I think Poppy's completely right
2: and it may very well be that they excel at different things and that yeah the mass market perhaps gnome works well right kde works better when you have a foot in the game a little bit more. yeah yeah either
0: way uh i think a lot of us are sticking around on the plasma desktop which is pretty awesome if you think about it that's that's gonna be you know i don't know it's a big switch for a lot of us a new era
2: it is a new era